I'm on Facebook every day. But last week when I was on Facebook, um, do you know those seven years, what your next seven years will look like? Right? So I did one of those. I clicked on it. Right? And for some people it was like money, money, money. And then for Tanner it was like empty wallet, empty wallet, empty wallet. <laughs> so for some people it was like five kids in the next six years or whatever it was. And mine was very different than everyone else's within my ministry. Uh, the first year it was a glass of beer. And I'm, I'm, for me, I'm a, like a recovering alcoholic. So the first year was like a glass of beer and then it was two glasses and then it was three and then it was like me at a party and then it was like me with some random girl partying or whatever. So in like seven years, I was going to completely relapse on everything that I've, um, that God's delivered me from over the last 14 years. And I was like, man, if Facebook even knows your temptations, like there's something there. And the point I have with that is, is that like we all have temptations, right? Mine are different than yours and yours are different than his. And well, J-Tone probably, you don't have any temptations. Do you, (laughs) J-Tone? He just laughs. He just laughs, right? Well, so we, we all have temptations, right? For me, drinking would be one. My mood and my attitude would be one. Your brother knows all about my mood and attitude, right? Right? I punched, I punched a brother twice since being a Christian in the last five years. Um, I mean, he does bring it on himself, but that still doesn't excuse my side of it, right? Um, I mean, honestly, guys, like, purity isn't a huge thing for me. But I don't want to say that I'm above that. I want to say I'm above cheating on my wife. Like, I'm not like a pornography guy or anything like that. But temptations are there. And we're all just it's like a couple steps away from falling. That makes sense. Like, I'm a, a paid preacher, right? That's like my job. I'm a minister. And I've been, a, I would like to think I've been a strong Christian for the last 14 years, almost 15 years now. But I'm not above temptation, and you guys aren't above temptation. So how do we typically handle temptation, right? Well, resistance, right? You just resist it. Resist it, resist it, and temptation will go away. Viva la resistance, right? Isn't that what they say? But that's not an unpopular opinion here. Resistance is not the way to fight temptation. And some of you are like, what? No. Yeah, resistance is not the way to fight temptation. And by the end of this lesson, I hope that I've liked spoken God's word to you, and I've given you experience, and I've given you some wisdom that the Spirit and God has given me over the last 15 years to change that from an unpopular opinion to a way of thought to fight temptation. Because resistance alone is not working. Where I've got guys and I've had guys and I've had girls within my ministry and my small groups and in my church where they resist and resist and resist and it just doesn't work if resistance alone is the key to fighting temptation. So I get older, the more I battle personal temptation and the more I see other people fall to temptation. I've got brothers and sisters out in the world who are just resist, 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 who are living in sin and who are dead and don't even know it. Or maybe they know it, but they're so caught in it, they can't pull themselves out. So we need to rethink the way that we handle temptation or the cycle will continue. You know how the cycle goes. We all have good intentions, right? I want to do so good that Romans 7, right? I want to do good, but when I try to do good, evil is right there with me. We've got these good intentions, we're convicted, and then temptation comes, right? And uh, we still want to do good, but then it's like, hey, this thing over here, this thought, this girl, this thing, or this, this action, temptation comes. And we resist, and we resist, and we resist, and then we fail, right? And that's what kind of eats at you. But you wanted to do good, and then what happens? 
then guilt sets in. Well, we wanted to do good, and then we were tempted, and then we failed, and now we're guilty. Lather, rinse, repeat, right? Then we go right into the same cycle. We're convicted, we want to do good, we get tempted, we fail, and then we go through. And we repent, and we confess, and we do and make all the right steps. But then we fall to the same thing over and over again. Is anyone here tired of falling to the same sin? I mean, if, if I, I would say this, if I could put two hands up and levitate, I'd put both my feet up too. All right, that's how tired I am to fall into the same sin. That's how tired I am of seeing my guys and my girls and my brothers and sisters fall into the same sin. It's dangerous. So we need to rethink the way that we handle temptation. And the Greek word for that would be metanoa, right? And I'm not a very bright man, but I like to throw Greek words into lessons so that way you guys, oh, he's so smart. So metanoa is actually meta for change and noah for thought. It's, it's repentance. And I used to think before this lesson that repentance was just something we did with sin, right? But repentance in the Bible is literally a changing of our mind to put it on the way that God would have us to do it. So we need to rethink the way that we handle temptation because we want to be unshook by temptation because you know what my life looks like when I fall and how shook it looks? My marriage falls. My kids suffer. Chris suffers, Paco suffers, Troy suffers, Nika, Kellen, Jaytone, Aaron, Antoine, and all you people here that don't even really know me, the body of believers suffers, and our world is shook, and to be honest with you, I'm really, really sick and tired of it. So we have to rethink the way that we do. So we've got six things that we're going to do if we're going to be unshook by temptation. Six things, okay? First, I must understand how temptation works. I must understand how temptation works. So we're in a war, right? You guys hear that? We're in a spiritual war and it's a war out there and the devil's fighting and all this stuff. We are in a spiritual war. And if we wait for the battle to start before we start fighting, we've already lost. I can guarantee you right now, all this stuff popping off, wherever you fall on that, with Iran and Russia, the United States has a plan if they attack us, if we need to attack them, because if we wait for the attack, we are going to lose. So we have to rethink that, and we have to understand how temptation works. Sun Tzu, he wrote this book a long, long time ago called The Art of War. His number one thing, his rule is, you got to know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. We have to know how Satan works and how Satan tempts us. Know your enemy. And here's the thing about Satan, though. You ever play, like, a board game with a little kid, right? And they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and they expect it to keep winning, right? They're not going to change that until it stops working. Satan has been using the same pattern for thousands of years, all the way back to Adam and Eve, to get us to fall to temptation. And here's the thing. We keep falling for it. Every single one of us have gone through what I'm about to go over with you right here about how temptation works multiple times, maybe even sometimes daily. So the first thing I have to say, step one, there's a wrong desire inside of me. There's a, you've got this desire inside of you and you've got to, got to, got to have it, right? You've got this desire in James 1. Temptation is the pull of a man's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions and afterward to the death penalty from God. So you've got this wrong desire, you've got this sin inside you, but that's not the only desire inside you that Satan tries to pull on. He'll take the right desire, but try to get you to do it in the wrong way or at the wrong time. 
Because the Bible says that he who desires to be a leader desires to be a noble task. But if you do it for the wrong reason, for your glory and your benefit, well, Satan's going to play on that. And if you try to rush it at the wrong time, Satan's going to play on that. So we've got these sins, we've got these evil desires, these things that says, you know what, God says that's not how you're supposed to live. And then you've got these right things that Satan's going to try to trick you into getting at the wrong time. There's, so there's all the other right desires, right? Is sex alone, is that a wrong desire? I ain't a wrong desire. God made sex to be great. But if it's outside of marriage, wrong time, wrong place. And Satan's going to play on that. Right? What about approval? God, there's a certain amount of us that God created us to desire approval, but approval from God. But when we desire it from all the people around us, wrong time, wrong place, and Satan's going to play on that. So he plays on the sinful things, but he also plays on the things that are right, but at the wrong time and wrong time. Uh, uh, Rick Warren has a quote, any desire that's out of control is destructive, good or bad. If it's out of control, it's destructive. So the second step, Satan causes you to doubt God's word. Satan causes you to doubt God's word. Did God really say that? Is that what he meant? Think about the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. You had one rule. Don't eat of the fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Satan say? Did God really say that? And Eve is like, I don't know, did he say that? And next now you're doubting God's word. You've got this desire already in you. Now this isn't in scripture, okay? I'm betting that Adam and Eve passed that tree a few times. And that doubt was there. Oh, hey, what's up with that tree? Why doesn't God want us to eat that? I know he said it'll, it'll make us like God, but is that what he really said? And Satan's starting to plant these things long before the temptation overtook them. So there's a doubt in God's word. Did God really say that? Satan will create that. And step three, after that doubt is there, he's going to use deception. He's going to use deception. Ah, uh, it's not that big deal. It's not a big deal. Hey, you've been working hard. You've been working real hard. One time isn't bad. It's just this one time, and then, then you'll be done with it. You know, you just, it's, that's it. And there's this, he has this lie, and he spins it in your head. Who wants to buy into a lie? Does anyone want to be lied to? You want to buy into the lie? You need to stop buying into Satan's lies. Take God's word for what it is. Don't buy into that deception. Here's the thing. God's word has been undefeated for thousands and thousands of years before us, and it will be undefeated for thousands and thousands of years after us. For all of eternity, God's word will be undefeated. So we can't buy into the deception. Because we have that desire, then we have the doubt, then there's the deception, and then there's the disobedience, right? Because Satan will stir up your emotions. He's going to stir them up. Did God really say that? I desire this, I want this, so it'll make me feel good. And he starts stirring it up. Because we in our head can say, no, 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 God said no. But then once he involves our emotions and our heart, that's when we're hooked. That's when we're defeated. And that's when we cross the line from temptation into sin. Because Eve didn't sin, right, when she was just talking to Satan about it. Eve sinned when she actually disobeyed. We have to make that distinction between temptation and what actually is sin. And this is why Proverbs says in uh, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Satan knows it. If I can get your heart attached to it, you're going to follow it. And God says, hey, you've got to guard that heart because that's what Satan's going to play on 
to get you to disobey. And if he can get you to disobey, he can drag you out. And he can make you fall. And you're going to die spiritually. So two, or one, I understand how temptation works. Two, I must learn my pattern of temptation. I must learn my pattern of temptation. Here's the thing I'm going to say about this. You better learn your pattern. Because Satan knows your pattern. When the Bible compares him to a roaring lion ready to pounce and eat and devour you, do lions just attack for no reason? Just say, I think I'm going to go attack this now. What do they do? You see those videos, right? It's got the tall grass, and then all you can see is the lion's eyes through it, and he stalks, and he looks, and he's waiting for the right time because you're going to have a pattern. You're going to have a pattern, and whenever that pattern, whenever it's the right time, that lion pounces out from that tall grass, jumps on the hyena, the zebra, or giraffe, or whatever it is, and drags it down and kills it. And all the other lions come in and they feast on the body. So you got to learn your pattern in Proverbs 14.8. The wise man looks ahead. A fool tries to fool himself and won't face the facts. There are facts about your life, the way that you live and the things that you do over and over and over again that every time you do it, it leads to some kind of sin and temptation. So we got to learn those things. So some questions. When am I tempted? When are you the most tempted? Is it before bed? In the morning? Right before lunch because you're hangry? When are you most tempted? You got to look at that. Esau sold his entire blessing, his entire future, because he was hungry. I bet you that's not the first time he made a bad decision when he was hungry. And it may not have been the last time. So we have a pattern of when we're tempted. And you guys need to really write these questions down. And then I want you to answer these questions about when you're tempted. I want you to talk to a brother or sister that you trust and go over these. Okay? So when are you tempted? Where are you most tempted? Where are you most tempted? Is it at school? Is it at work because it's, there's no Christians around you, so you have no accountability, so you can cuss, you can drink, you can smoke weed, you can hit on the girl that's, that's working, the, the busser that's working, the, ta- the, or the hostess, because there's no accountability there? Where are you most tempted? Your bedroom? In the shower? At a friend's house? Where are you most tempted? I don't go to bars alone, because I am tempted there. You understand, I'm, uh, it was a 33-year-old man at a church camp. I went to a gas station to get um, one of those little bug bracelets for one of the, the babies that was there because the gnats were real bad that year. And I look right next to the counter and there's this big like, basket of those single shot whiskey bottles. I hadn't had a drop of alcohol in 13 years. And I look down at those and here's a slide that Satan put in my head. Here's a deception that he put. No one would even know. No one, I'm at a church camp, like one of the most holy and religious weeks of my year. And here I am about to go back with a bunch of kids and teach them about the word of God. And the thought came into my head. No one would even know. 99 cents, what a great price tag. What a price point, right? What did I do? I literally, as a 33-year-old man, ran out of the gas station and went somewhere else to get a bug bracelet. Because I was tempted there. I was tempted. So who, here's the next question. Who is with me when I'm most tempted? Is there a certain friend or a certain group of friends? Who's with you? Right? Is it a girl? A particular guy? An enemy? Someone that's hard for you to be around? Here's one for me that is maybe like 
kind of get some people to turn their heads. Is it your family? My family is pretty toxic. And when I'm around my family, and I'm not saying don't love your family. I'm saying you need to be prepared when you're around them to face temptation. For me, my family, I, it stirs up all kinds of emotions and past hurts and just present hurts. And I'm tempted. My mood is different. I'm quiet. I'm usually a pretty loud and pretty whatever guy, right? But I'm tempted when I'm around my family. Here's another question. What temporary benefit do you get when you give in? Pleasure? Blowing off steam? Blowing off frustration? Satisfaction? Approval? You need to know what the benefit is so that way you can fight that temptation. There's some benefit in it for you or you wouldn't do it. And then lastly on this one, how do I feel before I'm tempted? How do I feel? What emotions and feelings are inside of me that Satan is going to play on to stir up your heart and to get you to fall? Are you stressed? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you numb? Are you frustrated? Are you bored? A lot of you guys, you know how many guys that I have that struggle with lust? That lust because they're just bored at their house. Just sitting there doing nothing. And Satan's like, well, you got to figure out something to do. Oh, I've got an idea. Let's get on your phone. Let's get on Snapchat. Check some Snap stories. Let's get on Instagram. Oh, there's a new Instagram model. Oh, here we go. Next thing you know, you're down this rabbit hole of pornography and lust. Because you're bored. What emotions? Are you happy? Remember, Satan's going to play on your thoughts and your emotions. He's going to trigger something in you. So now that we're rethinking how temptation works, what makes me vulnerable are patterns. Uh, I must make a plan to avoid those situations. You've got to make a plan to avoid those situations. If, now, Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a foothold. You know what that is? Like, you ever like, try to close the door and someone puts their foot in the door? You've got to slam that door closed. You gotta make a plan to do that. So if you're not willing to make a plan to overcome temptation, you're gonna keep failing. And to be honest, you're wasting your time in this class. You gotta make some kind of plan to overcome temptation. Where are my inner belt peeps at? Raise raise your hands. You know Ben's quote on on insanity, right? All the time, right? Paco knows. Ben, who preaches with us or for us, his thing is. Uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I think he uses that three times a month. Pretty close. In fact, we roast him on it every time he uses it. And it's applicable, but that's what we do with temptation. All right, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. I'm going to keep doing the same thing. I'm going to keep doing the same thing. And I have no plan. I have no plan. And you keep failing, and you keep falling, and you keep being tempted. You keep sinning. Here's how I think about temptation, okay? Um, you guys remember those old steel merry-go-rounds on the playground? Who's ever been on one of those? Who's ever really been on one of those where you get on it and your friends, wop, 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 and you're spinning and you're going like this? And it seems so fun at the time, right? But if you could keep that spin going, what's going to happen eventually? Eventually your grip's going to give out and you're going to fly off. We will call it like the concussion maker, Right? Because if you ain't ever had a concussion on one of those things, did you even really have a childhood? Because those things were awesome. Like, I mean, I know I got probably broken bones and just bone bruises and just hobbling off and I'll get up. I'm like, that was awesome. And honestly, that's how, like, in the moment it feels, right? 
the temptation to sin for a moment. This is awesome. But the older you get, the harder it hurts. Eventually you're going to let go. Eventually you're going to fly off. So don't do the momentary thing and say, we have to have a plan for our temptation. We've got to do something different. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. What settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have to support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with? Avoid them. You know, I've got a guy in my ministry who, who's like, I really want to help these people, but every time he's around these people, he does the same stupid sin. And I'm like, you are not in a spot to help these people yet by living the life that you are living. Avoid them. There are two equally damning lies Satan wants us to believe. One, just won't, won't, once won't hurt. And two, now that you have ruined your life, you are beyond God's use, and you might as well enjoy sitting. You ever felt that? Sin, you feel that guilt. Well, God can't use me now. And then you get caught in a cycle. I'd say Jesus Christ died for you. Even when you fall, that's not an excuse to keep doing it. He said, you're so useful and you are so loved and I want you to have a great future and I want you to help so many people that you're not useless in that. But if we want to be useful and we want to be used by God and we want to be a blessing to other people, we got to have a plan. Proverbs 4, 26, plan carefully what you do. Avoid evil, evil and walk straight ahead. We must be proactive to make a plan. Too many times we go through life and we just hope that it won't happen. But without a plan, we fall to temptation. Or even worse, uh, because of a lack of plan to avoid, or putting the thinking of our pattern, I'm sorry, I really wrote wrote this sentence weird. I'm going to skip that. All right, hey, so does anyone here have a a peanut allergy? Or know of anyone with a peanut? You have a peanut allergy? Well, that would have been good to know before the trip, Troy. Okay, I'm just playing with you. All right, so you have a peanut allergy, right? And you have a plan. What happens if you eat peanuts? You got, you got to have the EpiPen, so you're the bad reaction, right? Oh, okay, all right. So, but, but, you, but you have a plan, right? When you grew up in school, they said, when you, they sent snacks home, a note came home saying, hey, no peanuts in class, right? For some people with a peanut allergy, a friend Daniel, he doesn't die, but he, I think he gets all swollen, Right, Daniel ate peanuts this morning. Just kidding. His face looks all swollen. Just kidding. All right, but you have a plan, right? And so for Emmett, when he takes home a snack, uh, it says that peanut allergy, no peanuts in the room. Even my seven-year-old can follow the plan because if we don't follow a plan, it's going to mess someone up. For some people, it's a rash or a swollen face. For some people with a peanut allergy, it's death. And for us, if we don't follow the plan, we can spiritually be in a tough spot. So don't get sidetracked by the devil's lies. We got to make a plan. So if you're on a diet, right, and you go to a place, like let's say a carnival, right, they got all fried, they got fried Oreos, fried Snickers bars, fried Twinkies, everything is fried at a carnival. If you go to a carnival and you want to stick to your diet, you're going to have to take some snacks. You're going to have to make a plan, right? Um, If you're an alcoholic, my plan is I don't go to a bar. Another one of my plans is is sometimes, uh, like let's say we're leaving Applebee's. I live a mile and a half from Applebee's. Me and my wife know, hey, so-and-so is going to give me a ride. She knows. But guess what we don't do? When she drops me off, we don't sit in a car and talk about life. There have been times where me and the girl have been talking. I said, hey, we need to step out of the car because I want to continue this conversation. But I'm not going to be alone in a car because I don't want that to be a setting 
where she shares her heart or I share my heart. There's a plan on that. Or, hey, let's go inside my wife's up. We could all talk about this together. There's a plan there. But if I don't have a plan, I can give little pieces of my heart to my college girls. And I don't want to do that. And too many times we start having texting and friendships with these girls and these guys that don't know Jesus that we shouldn't be talking with. And what we do is we give little pieces of our heart and we allow these boundaries to be crossed that we don't even know should be there. And we fall to temptation. You guys have to have a plan because, girls, I'm looking at some of you. I've talked with some of you. Your hearts are beautiful. You're beautiful. And the guys in the world see that. I want that. But they don't want it for Jesus. They want it for the pleasure and fun that they can get out of it. And guys, too many of you guys could be mighty men of God and help people and lead in the kingdom. But you chase after the pretty girl who wants nothing to do with Jesus. And you fall. And to be honest, I'm really tired of it. I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters falling. There are people that were here sitting in these seats two years ago that aren't here because they, they didn't have a plan to fight temptation and what to do with temptation. What's up? Yeah. yeah, Satan's going to lie and deceive. He's going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to tell you that that girl or guy is good for you. We talked about that a little bit earlier about the deception, right? He's going to spin all that stuff. We don't want to get sidetracked by that. If lust is your thing and you've got a smartphone, put a blocker on it. Honestly. And if you get around your blockers or you find a, get a dumb phone. Go get a Nokia brick that from 20 years ago, because I guarantee they still work better than some of the phones today. You got Snake on there. That can help keep you occupied. <laughs> right? Get a dumb phone where you can't get on the internet, where you can call and you can text. Because it ain't worth having Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff on your phone. Got to have a plan. I had a friend, actually Ben, the uh, insanity guy from earlier. Ben, he bought a brand new MacBook Pro about 15 years ago. Super nice computer. Like, jealousy. Like, I had to fight center my side not being jealous of this computer. He bought this computer, but he found that every time he got on this super nice computer, that he was looking at pornography. And Ben would not care if I told you this. He talks about it all the time. He'd look at pornography. And so what he would do is he lived with Robert Cox and his wife, Rita, that he gave them the computer and said, I can only be honest when you're in the room with me because I don't want to fall. That seems extreme. A super nice computer, but he could only use it like an hour a day. Seems like a waste of money, but it was more valuable to him to have this plan than to fall to sin. He took his sin seriously, and now he's the lead evangelist on one of our church plants. He preaches the word of God every week because he had a plan, and he was resisting the devil, and he was fighting, and he was actually doing something different. But here's the deal. We could have the best plan in the world. Winsville had the best plan in the world, right? We're going to go buy this new bus. We're going to get on this new bus. And we're going to drive from St. Louis down to Panama City to be with all of our brothers and sisters from other ministries, right? Only one slight problem with that plan. Fire started shooting out the back of the bus, and it broke down about 250 miles away. All right? Was that the plan, Winsville? No, no. Was it a 23-hour drive, the plan, Winsville? No. No. So life is going to throw you curveballs. We can have this plan for temptation, right? 
We can have the best plan in the world. I'm not going to be alone in the, the car with the girl. I'm not going to bars. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But then when life throws that curveball at you, what do you do? What do you do? No, we can fold. We can fold, but there are stuff that we can do. Here's what we can do. Next point. I must cry out to God and I must quote scriptures. Not just call out to God. I want you to cry out to God. God, please help me. SOS, mayday, mayday, mayday. Houston, we have a problem. Please, dear God, come with me here. Because here he says, Psalm 50, 15. Call to me when trouble comes and I will save you. He says, call on me. I'm going to save you. I want to help. I want to see you fall to temptation. I didn't send my son down to the earth so that you can be tempted and fall off and die. You think I'm just going to leave you hanging at this point? Call out to me. I want to help you. A few years ago, a few years ago, I was, I was sitting at a coffee shop and I was getting ready for one of these retreats. It was either, I think it was CMU because it was warm out. But I'm sitting there at this thing. And like I said, lust is an issue. I'm a, I'm a man. I won't say that it's not. But it's not like one of the strongholds that, that Satan tries to use against me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm working on my lesson. And like the, like one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in person sat down across from me. And I had a hat on, and I'm working on this lesson. And I'm like, man, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do this. I can't like this because I kept like this, like that. And I, was, I had my hat, my bill on my hat all the way down. And I'm literally turned as far as I could get away from this girl. And so I had to sing. And so I was like, oh, crap, what do I do? So I started praying, God, dear God, help me. So I texted Jake, sitting, Ben, Kerry, I think a couple other guys. And I'm like, hey, you guys got to pray for me. I'm either going to need to get up and leave or whatever. And I kid you not, I cried out to God, sent that text. And she had been there for about 10 minutes. And it didn't look like she was going anywhere. And then all of a sudden, she was just like, and she got up and left. And I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. So I cried out to God. There was that temptation there, and that's not even one of the things that really gets at me. Uh, do we have band people, drama people, athlete people? Anyone ever have like a coach? Has anyone ever had a coach that didn't play or do the activity that they were coaching? I did, right? When you first, now you can grow to respect that person over time, right? But when you first meet that coach and they're telling you, hey, I'm going to need you to wrestle five matches today. I'm going to need you to run 30 sprints. I'm going to need you to do some stairs. And then guess what? You're overweight, so you can't eat for the next two days. In your head, here's this. Well, you never wrestled five matches. You never ran all those sprints. You never had to miss a meal in your life. And you're telling me to do all this stuff? It's hard to relate to that person because they didn't live the struggle with you. But here's the, the greatest thing about Jesus. You have all these other fake religions None of them came down from on high to live the struggle with us. Jesus Christ did that. He did that for you. In Hebrews 4, here's what he said. Jesus understands our weaknesses. For he faced the same temptations that we do. So when you're lonely, hey, Jesus faced that. When you're depressed, he faced that. When you're angry, when you're sad, when you're frustrated, Jesus faced all of that. He came down from heaven to earth to live the struggle with us. But then it says, yet he did not sin. So let us... Come boldly. Let us cry out. Let us come boldly to our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and his grace. That mercy and that grace is that power to overcome temptation and to look at it face on and say, you know what? I'm not going to do it the same way. I'm not going to let my desires overcome me. I'm not going to let that doubt sink in. I'm not going to believe Satan's 
uh, deception, and I'm not going to believe that disobedience because I've cried out to God. I put a plan in, and I'm, I'm, I'm crying out, and Jesus came, and I am not alone in this. He lived it with me. Temptation is not sin. I said that earlier. Temptation is not sin. When Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he tempted him. He spun a bunch of lies. Hey, did God really say that? He was quoting scripture, and what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture right back. That's not what God said. So here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, so let's say Shane and I, we're in the lobby and we're both kind of in a bad mood or Shane's in a bad mood and I accidentally bump into him and Shane's flexing up on me, right? Shane, stand up, flex up for everyone, man. I love Shane. Shane, turn around, show him the muscle. Shane, Shane is about to lay, <laughs> Shane is about to lay a beat down on me. Okay, you can sit down, Shane. Do you think it's like, Let's say he's not a Christian, okay? Be slow to angry, Shane. Be quick to listen. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to bump into you like that. And the person out in the world is going to be like, you know what, I should be slow to anger. And I should probably be pretty quick to listen to you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying yell scripture at people out in the world. What I'm saying is, is in our hearts and in our minds, here's what I need to say when Shane, because I'm a little trigger happy you guys know, your brother knows, right? I can be a little trigger happy when it comes to my emotions. So what I need to say in my head is, no, I need to be slow to anger. I need to be quick to listen. I need to say, let no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but that which is the, uh, useful for the building up of others. So I quote scriptures to myself. That's what Jesus did. We cry out, we quote those scriptures. Here's another verse for you guys. I want you guys. Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.11. I've banked your promises in the vaults of my heart so that I won't sin. In wrestling, I always tell my athletes, make a deposit. Today at practice, you need to make a deposit in the bank. Because one day, you're going to be wrestling the match of your life. And if you ain't got nothing in your bank account, you're going to lose that match. But in that match of your life, if you've been faithfully putting deposits in, you're going to be able to cash out. And you're going to be able to have victory in that match. Some of us aren't making spiritual deposits in our scripture bank account. And when Satan comes, you're not going to be able to draw from that. And you're just going to believe it. Oh, you said this? Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Or you can quote scripture. You can cry out to God. So I must understand how temptation works. I must learn my pattern of temptation. I must plan to avoid those situations. I must cry out to God and quote scriptures. And next, I must refocus my attention on something else. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to resist temptation. It says to resist the tempter because whatever I resist persists. That's a Rick Warren quote. What? What do you mean? What do you mean? No, what do you mean I have to refocus this? Think about this as a wrestler. I use wrestling a lot because I'm a wrestler. Uh, you don't eat sometimes. It's just, it, that's kind of fading away. But when I wrestled, you had to make weight and you would kind of like starve yourself and stuff. And when I would get thirsty and when I would get hungry, I'd be thinking, I'm so thirsty, I'm so thirsty, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. Did the thirst go away? It makes it worse, right? And to ride down here, some of you are like, I have to pee, I have to pee, I have to pee, I have to pee, right? And it makes it worse. But a lot of times we can refocus on something else and buy yourself some more time. And... So for me, um, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Here's the most influential, or one of the most influential verses um, that's ever been spoken to me. We capture every thought 
and we make it obey Christ. It says we refocus our thoughts. I was sitting at a cappuccino's with Robert Cox about six months after I got baptized. And Robert was talking, and uh, Robert's like, a, I guess like a, a spiritual dad for me. And I was really starting to get to know Robert. And he said, hey, man, the things you're doing are great. Man, you're serving, and I love watching you worship. You're not any good at singing, but I love watching you worship. Right? And you're serving, and you're finding ways, and you're really helping build our church. It's awesome. But can I say something to you? And if you're ever in a conversation with Robert and he drops a butt on you, brace yourself because you're about to get smacked, okay? He said, but you're really inconsistent with your mood and your attitude. And if people can't expect a mood or attitude out of you and they've got to walk on eggshells, it doesn't matter all the good stuff you do. No one will ever follow you and you never influence anyone for Jesus. And then I said, but Robert, but Robert, you don't understand. I get these thoughts and I just can't help it. And I thought I was special. Right? And some of you guys think that same thing. But no, you don't understand. I got these thoughts. I got these feelings. And he said, he quoted this verse to me, but make every thought captive to Christ, in obedience to Christ. And I was like, whoa, what, what does that mean? He goes, you have a choice. You can focus on the negative thought, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to focus on what Jesus would have me do. I can focus on loving. You know, when I was wrestling, I had to rethink of not being hungry, 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 thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. What I started thinking about was what it would feel like to get my hand raised at the end of the match. I'd focus on winning because that made all the sacrifice worth it. And for us in our relationship with God, we can't focus on, man, I want this girl, I want this guy, I want this drink, I want to smoke, I want to do whatever. We've got to focus on what winning looks like for Jesus. Winning for Jesus is glorifying God. It's living in a life that just makes him just so happy to look down on his kids and giving him all glory because nothing really good is from us. It's just through obeying him. Winning for God looks like serving the world. Building a church, building a campus ministry that glorifies God. Helping people, change, helping to change people's eternities. I took on some student loan debt in college, right? I would take on 10 times that debt for one more of you. And one more of you. I would do all that. Because winning is so much more important than the temporary things here on earth. We have, <coughs> we have to focus on winning for Jesus. We have to refocus our thoughts and our actions. Not on the negative, and I'm not like the positive thinking guru guy. But what I'm saying is, is refocus it on Jesus. Focus on winning for Jesus because it makes denying your flesh, your pride, all worth it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I understand how temptation works. I learned my pattern of temptation. I plan to avoid those situations, but when I can't avoid that stuff, I cry out to God and I quote scriptures. I refocus my attention. And then the last thing I have for you guys is I must enlist the help of one another. I must enlist the help of one another. You know, there are over 59 one another verses in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for one another, uh, uh, bear one another's burdens. All these different verses Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because together if one falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, there's no one to help him. And in Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with their eyes grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Do you put yourself around a companion of fools? Or do you walk with the wise who can help you up and help you continue in your walk with God? One another helps you have accountability. They help you grow. Right? They encourage you. They help you when you don't feel like you can keep going. 
You need a godly group of friends around you. A lot of you guys are really plugged into a campus ministry, which is awesome. Some of you guys may be in a campus ministry, but you're not really in a campus ministry. You show up on Sundays and you show up during a week, once a week, but then there's nothing in between. You're not really connected. I'm talking about that daily connection. Because if Chris and I aren't connected, right, and I, Chris, you know better than to sit in the front row whenever I'm talking, right? If Chris and I aren't really con- connected, if you were to ever fall, he's not going to feel good to come talk to me and get help from me. He's going to talk to the people that he's around all the time. Like if you're on a sports team, right, or at school, you spend 30 hours a week at school with people, right, or 30 hours a week at work with people. Those are the people you're going to go to, and if they don't love Jesus, they're going to lead you down the wrong way. They're foolish, and they may not even know it. But you've got to enlist the help of one another. God put people in your life to help you through. It's just plain and simple. I was talking to a guy on the way down here, and I was talking about like just a great cloud of witnesses that has helped keep me going over the years because I have people around me. So when temptation comes, don't go through it alone. You're not alone. There's people. You look me up on You can call me whenever you want. All right? Reach out to someone. Get the help. Really be connected. So I understand how temptation works. I learn my pattern of temptation. I cry out to God. I quote scriptures. I refocus on the godly things. I enlist the help of one another. And if we can do that stuff, we rethink the way that we go into temptation. We can be unshook by it. And next year, we won't be losing people, but I'll really have to talk to both sides of the room. And that's a really good thing. And here's one lie that I want to leave you with that Satan, Satan is going to spin on you guys, okay? Is God really on your side? Because if God was on your side, would I have, would I still have this temptation? I've been a Christian. Here's one of the things I said after I punched your brother. I've been a Christian 13 years. Why am I still having this struggle? Is this even worth it? Why do I even try? I was a paid minister at a church, and I'm having those thoughts. Why do I do? Why do I keep doing this? What is wrong with me? Does God love me? Why do I have this thorn in my side? And Satan wants you to feel like God doesn't love you and that God doesn't care about you. Why even try? And that's a lie. In Romans 8, right? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, he is for us. He sent his son to die for us. You don't get any more all in than that. He sent his son for you. Who can be against us? The liar, the deceiver is against us. And he's going to use whatever emotion, whatever situation, whatever thing to tempt you and to get you to fall. But God is for you. Who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? One of those all things is, is victory over temptation. A continued life with him. Continued blessings for us so that our lives can be a blessing for other people. And if we're shook up by temptation and we fall, we miss the boat. We miss other people who are going through it. We miss people who are in addiction, who have been abused, who have lived a life just without God. We miss a life to change, a way to change people's eternities. Remember, it's not about us. It's what God does through us, but he uses us to do a lot of that stuff. We got to be unshook by our temptations. Our eternity matters. Your people sitting next to you, eternity matters. The people's in your class, in your work, 
your family, your future kids, your future wife, your future husband, your future best friend. It matters. We've got to rethink the way that we look at temptation because we need to be unshook by it. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for what you do in our lives, Lord. I want to I want to thank you for all the times that I've been in temptation, Lord, and I cried out to you and you looked after me, Lord. I want to pray that as we leave here, that we we can make a plan, we can really understand how temptation works. We can look at the patterns in our lives, Lord, we make that plan, Lord, so that way when temptation comes, we're ready for it. We are ready for temptation, Lord, but I also pray that when those curveballs come, Lord, that we can humbly cry out to you and desperately cry out to you and say, dear God, Lord, please help us then also, Lord, that we can be putting those scriptures into our, our banks, Lord, into our hearts and into our minds, so that way, when the devil comes and the lies come, we can know better. Lord, I'm tired of falling for lies. I'm tired of watching my friends, my brothers and sisters fall for lies, Lord. I want to pray that we can rethink and refocus our attention, that way, when that temptation comes, we can say, that you know what, I don't need to focus inward. I need to focus on loving you, glorifying you, serving people, serving our church, finding someone somewhere that needs to hear about the life-saving message of your son. Lord, I pray that we can enlist the, the help of our people around us, Lord, that we can be truly connected, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays or whenever our midweek is, Lord, but we can share our very lives and we can share our very hearts. God, I want to thank you for Jesus, Lord, that putting him all in to share in our struggles, Lord, makes me feel so much comfort, so much joy to know I'm not in this alone, Lord. Help us to never forget his sacrifice and his surrender because of how much he loves us, Lord. Help us to remember that even if we do fail, Lord, that it's not over, that we can get back up and we can keep going and we can learn something different for the future, God. I pray for the rest of this weekend, Lord, that we can continue to grow closer to you, that we can grow closer with our ministry, Lord, and we can grow closer with our brothers and sisters from all across the country, Lord. I pray that we leave here fired up to do awesome and mighty things in your name, Lord. I want to thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.